well, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. Come on. Actually, because I got the kids here, I cannot resist asking a question of the kids. You ready? What did you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I saw that hand right away. Yeah, what do you want to be when you grow up? A teacher. That's awesome. What do you want to be when you grow up, Katie? A police officer. A police officer. Katie, don't pull me over. What do you want to be when you grow up? A teacher and a mom. A teacher and a mom. What do you want to be when you grow up? An archaeologist. An archaeologist. Indiana Jones. I love that. How about you? Um, I want to be a donut shop owner. A donut shop owner. I think we finished with that, don't you think? That's the highest calling anyone can have. Hey, kids, you guys can go to Children's Church. If you are here as a child kid and you're waiting for Children's Church, you can run away to Children's Church. They were awesome today. Um, but I want to ask that same question of all of you. What did you want to be when you grow up? You remember when you were young and you wanted to grow up? How many guys here... Wanted to grow up to be a policeman, a fireman, or an astronaut? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. How many ladies, ladies, how many of you wanted to grow up to be a nurse, a ballerina, or a princess? The princess gig is hard to get. Do you know that? Oh, no, no. How many of you wanted to grow up to be Barbie? Barbie has everything, right? Right. Now, let me ask this broader question. How many of you actually grew up to be what you wanted to become? A few of you, right? A few of you. I know how this is, but most of us, that isn't true. When I was in high school, I knew when I, want, when I was going to grow up, what I really wanted to become was Maverick from Top Gun. That's who I wanted to be. I was going to be Maverick from Top Gun. I found out again this year, I actually still want to be Maverick from Top Gun. So, uh, but I, I never got there. Um, but many of us live with this idea that we're supposed to become something more. Like we were destined for something more. Like we look at our life and we think, I could be more, I should be more, I, I want to be more. I want to be more successful or more attractive or more talented, right? And that leads us to this question we've been asking in the Made for This journey. And it's this Made for This question and it's what was I made for? What is my purpose? What is my calling in this life? And we've been answering those questions together for the last few weeks. In week one, we talked about, uh, I was made to be loved by God and to love God back. But first and foremost, I was made to be loved by God, just to accept God's love, to, to take that in. The very first thing, when God created the universe, spoke it into existence, he was thinking about you because he loved you and he wanted to do that for you. And then we love God back is our response to that love, and we call that worship. That's called worship, as we love God back. Last week, Glenn told us about, uh, we, were, we were made for a church family, right? We were made to belong to this church family. And, and so many of you saw, you are not an orphan, you were made to fit into this family, into God's family, and we call that fellowship. This week, we are going to talk about what we are to become. That feeling you have that you are meant for more, that you are meant to become more, that is true. It, it, you are not designed to be who you are today. You are made to become more. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28. This is sort of a theme verse for the entire series, really, the entire idea. Romans eight twenty-eight says this. And we know that God causes what? Everything. To work together for the good who love God and are what? 
called, those who are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he, get this, and he, get this, there it is, chose to what? Become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So get this, you were made to become more like Christ. That's the big picture today. You were made to become more like Christ. Um, so what does that mean? I know what you're thinking. Steve, what does it mean to be more like Christ? Does that mean I have to grow out a beard and wear my bathrobe everywhere and, and convert to wearing Birkenstocks? Birkenstocks are very comfortable, those of you who have never worn those. Do I have to wear sandals everywhere? No, it's not like that. Um, I'll show you what it means. Because here's the thing. You are not going to be Jesus. What we want is you to be more like Jesus. You're not going to be God. You're not going to be some mini God. God is God and you're not God. Do you know that? By the way, that eliminates a lot of pressure in your life. God is God, you're not him. And, and so, but God does want you to be godly, more and more godly, right? We know this about God. God is patient. God is kind. God is love. God is merciful. And we see that as the fruit of the spirit. And we're supposed to be more and more and more like that. Every day, more and more like Jesus. We call this discipleship. That's what it means, discipleship. The goal of becoming more and more like the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And we see this in the Bible over and over again compared to running. Running a race. Like five different times in the Bible we see this comparison to running a race. And so, do we have any runners here? Any runners out there? People that do some running, absolutely just a few of it. Runners are a quiet lot. I'm not sure why. They're all very, very quiet, right? Anybody run a marathon? Actually run a marathon? I actually ran a marathon. Nobody cares. I actually, thank you, thank you. I actually run a marathon. I did run a marathon. A couple years ago, I, uh, I, I ran the California International Marathon up in Sacramento, and Right now, half of you are like, no, you didn't. You didn't run the half. You didn't run a marathon, did you? No, I did. I did. I ran and completed the... All right, I never ran in a marathon. I knew. I did. I thought about it, though. Like, I pulled up the website. Does that count? Is that the same thing, pulling up the website? No, it's not the same thing. Okay. Um, you know, some people run a marathon just to be able to say they ran a marathon. Do you know that? To me, that's not a good enough reason. It's not a good enough reason to run a marathon. Uh, it, it, people, people who run marathons, um, I, you know, I actually, I actually couldn't run the marathon. Do you know why? It's I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to run a marathon. Um, people run a marathon. How many, everybody know, how far is a marathon? How far? Everybody knows how far it is. How many of you have run it? No. Do you want to know why you haven't run it? It's too far. Am I right? It's too far. It's too far to walk. It's too far to run. Frankly, I don't even want to drive 26 miles anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just, I don't want to do it. Um, but but that's, that's the thing. Anybody ever gone to watch a marathon? Watching a marathon is sort of weird because you don't watch a whole marathon. You only watch one little part of a marathon. And then over and over again, as people are going by, you're like, way to go. Hey, hey, you're doing great. Hey, hey, you got this. And what I would like to say is, you don't have to do it, right? Right? You, I could call you an Uber. Come back to my place. I got guacamole. But, but we, here's the thing. 
becoming like Christ, this journey of discipleship, is a lot like a marathon. It's really like running this long-distance marathon. And so we're going to talk today about the marathon of discipleship. The marathon of discipleship. And so we're going to start with, the, we're looking at a passage here uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. If you've got your notes, grab them, jump in. But this marathon of discipleship starts with, you start by stripping down. Start by stripping down. Now, I just really wanted that to be a sermon point at some point in my lifetime, so I put that up there. But it really is biblical. You start by stripping down. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us, what? Strip off. off. What are we stripping off? Every weight that slows us down, especially the... Sin that so easily trips us up. If you're going to run, you have got to get rid of the baggage. You have got to get rid of every weight, every ounce slowing you down. Because you can feel it in every step, what you're carrying along with you. Basically, this is you don't run a marathon in a parka, right? If you've ever seen someone running in a race, you ever see somebody like a real runner? They wear like the, you know the shorts I'm talking about? Those tiny, teeny nylon shorts that, you know, that's all they're wearing. And then they got a little t-shirt. And even their shoes are like measured in ounces. Like we got to get the lightest shoes you can possibly get. And that's it. You run. That's all you carry with you. And some of you today, as you think about growing more and more like Christ, you know right away there is a sin weighing you down. I don't even need to give you a list. Right now, the Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart the sin that you know is keeping you from a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with God. Right? And it's like running with one of those weighted vests or, or you know, the silly little uh, weights that people put on their wrists and their ankles and they're running with them? Why would you do that? But that's what we do when we have this sin that is entangling us and tripping us up, right? And every step of the way, it's harder. And you need to get real about that sin. And you've got to get rid of it. You've got to let it go. If you really want to run this race that God has for you. And get this. God has a race that he wants you to run. In one of the paraphrase translations, it uses the term a particular race. God has a particular race for you to run. Did you know that? He has a particular race for you to run. And only you can run it. Nobody else can run your race. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Everybody wants you to run their race. You need to run your race. Everybody wants you to run their race. I want you to run your race, the race that God has for you. Parents, kids, all of the above, this is true. When you are born into a family, you immediately are born into that family and your parents immediately have this race that they want you to run. They want you to do this in education and go get this job and live here and have that. And we we have a race we sort of want our kids to run. When you get married, your spouse comes to that relationship and says, man, I, I, I really want you to run my race. I don't like the way you're doing it, and I want you to run my race. And so we're trying to get our spouse to run the race we want them to run. You have a boss at work who's trying to get you to run their race, do it my way. I want you to do things the way my And, and you've got uh, friends who, who I want you to do it this way. And the truth of the matter is, is you've got to answer a question. Whose race are you going to run? Whose race are you going to run? Because you can run your own race, the one that you have planted in your own heart and head. You can run the race that other people want you to run. 
Or you can run God's race that he has laid out for you. And truthfully, you can't run all three races at the same time. You have to choose whose race you're going to run. And then we strip off everything that is holding us back from running that race, that particular race that God has for me. And for some of you, that means stripping off the expectations that some other people have on your life. You got to strip them off. You can't please everyone. You can't run everyone else's race and please God. So the question is, are you willing to, are you ready to strip off those sins that entangle you and trip you up? Are you ready to strip off the expectations that other people have on you so you can run the race that you are supposed to run, that God has laid out for you? Okay? Second thing is this. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Hebrews chapter 12, the the verse, or the half of the verse after that, 1B says this. And let us run how? With endurance. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This race is a marathon. It's going to take your whole, whole life. It'll take your whole life to run this race. You can't finish it in a week or a month or even a year. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Ask any long-distance runner if you're going to run 5 miles or 10 miles or 13.1 or 26.2 miles, you have got to pace yourself. If you just go out and go for it, you're going to burn out and that is it. You'll give up and not finish. Now, I actually did do a little bit of running at one time in my life. I trained for a half marathon and I actually, I did two half marathons in one day. So that adds up to a marathon. Two half marathons in one day. I did my first and my last. That's what I did. And I remember when I went there, um, I, I did finish, absolutely. They gave me this little prison number that they put on top of you, right? And so you, you strap that on. And then at the finish line, when I actually finished and I ran the whole way, my wife and daughters will tell you, I ran the whole way, they gave me a medal. Yeah, look at that medal, huh? And my wife said, I would never wear this medal ever again. So this is just to prove her wrong. (laughs) I'm going to preach the rest of this sermon wearing my medal. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I earned it. Um, Here's what I learned. Any runners out there, here's what I learned. I have no idea why, but the entire time I was training to run this half marathon, the first mile is terrible. On any training run, the first mile is the worst. You get out there and you start running and you immediately think to yourself, why am I running? I don't like this. This is not fun. I don't, there's nothing chasing me. There's no mountain lion behind me. Why in the world am I running? And then, I don't know if anybody else has this thought, but as I'm beginning that first mile and I'm running, I can only think to myself this one thought. With every step that I take, I'm getting farther and farther away from my house and I gotta get back there because the finish line for me is the couch. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like I gotta get back there and it's gonna be longer and longer and I don't even know where I'm, you know, there could be anything waiting for me. There could be a mountain lion waiting for me out there. I'm running right into the jaws of death, right? But I, I do that all the time as, and, and here's the thing. At the one mile mark, and I have no idea why this is true. If other runners have a different experience, you can let me know. But at the one mile mark, for whatever reason, your body settles into a rhythm. And at one mile, you start to run and your legs are picking up and setting down and you're starting to think to yourself, oh, I can do this. Oh, this is no problem. You just, your body settles into a routine, basically, and, and naturally, your, your wheels, your, your feet keep turning and they just keep going and you think, I can keep running. And then you just keep going 
until you get to whatever the goal is for that run, which for me is to get back to the couch, always, you know? But you can do it. And that's true spiritually, too. You gotta, like, settle in and then press on. God's not in a hurry. This is a lifetime. You might be, but it's not, he's not in a hurry. This is a long race. It's gonna take your whole life. God is not impatient with you. So just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running, running. Just keep running. And, and you settle into that. Listen to what Philippians chapter three says. It says this. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I what? Press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking what? Forward to what lies ahead, I, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So we press on. We settle into that routine and we press on. Here, how do you do that? Well, you can't really get into that routine unless you are running daily. You got to run daily. This may seem obvious, but runners run. Do you know that? You're not a runner if you don't run. You need to run each day. Runners run. If you stop running for a week or a month or a year, I stopped running a long time ago. I'm no longer a runner. Let's be clear about that. I, I'm, but runners run. And if you want to be more as a runner, you've got to run more. You've got to run a little more every day. You want to run a marathon? They have full training plans. Run this much on this day, a little bit more, a little bit more. Take a little less, a little more, a little more, a little more until you get to this place where you can run a marathon. If you want to be more like Jesus, which is what discipleship is, then you've got to spend some time every day focusing on Jesus. You've got to spend some time every single day focusing on Jesus. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, that passage we've been working through. The next part. We do this by what? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, this is called a quiet time or a devotional life. You spend some time every day focusing on Jesus. A little bit of focus time on Jesus every day. It's not necessarily an hour, not two hours, but you need some time focused on Jesus. For so many people, you start with 10 minutes or 15 minutes each and every day. What you spend your time on is who you become. Do you know that? What you spend your time on is who you become. And so you need to focus your time on Jesus every single day. Now, I don't care when you do it. I don't care when you do it. I tend to think morning is best, just so you start that, your day that way. Um, if the first thing you do every morning is pick up your phone and immediately go to your text messages and your emails and you start looking at social and you start scrolling. And anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you get into the death scroll where you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and then you finally go, oh gosh, what time is it? I gotta, and you put it away, and you're stressed out, and you're distracted before you even got to breakfast. That's just the way it happens. You get sucked into that. And if you can't figure out why you're stressed out every day, it's because you do that instead of spending time with Jesus. Talk with God. Here's what you do instead. Go to your favorite chair or, or your favorite place, and you take 10 minutes or 15 minutes You read some of God's word 
and you talk to God. Talk to God about the stuff on your heart. God, here's what I'm worried about. God, here's what's stressing me out right now. And then you be quiet and listen. Okay, God, is there anything you want to say to me? I'm all ears. Hit me, God. What do you got? Hit me. For some of you, the reason God's never spoken to you is because you've never been quiet long enough to hear him talk. It's really true. Get in the car as you drive to work, and instead of immediately switching on your Spotify or your podcast or whatever, take the first 15 minutes and just drive with it quiet in your car. Listen to God. Talk to God. You you could talk to God. Um, You just need some... Wait, wait, listen, 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 listen. You hear that? That's silence. And that's how God speaks. He speaks in the silence, but we got to give him enough space to speak. I don't, God doesn't have to speak audibly. Do you know that? God is big enough to plant ideas right in the middle of our, our mind. God doesn't have to speak audibly. Um, if, if God plants an idea in your mind, in your brain, that's called inspiration, right? The devil puts a thought in your mind, that's called temptation. God plants a thought in your mind. That's called inspiration. If you have a thought in your mind, that's called stupidity most of the time. It's just us being, you know, I don't know what I'm thinking. Um, you can't become like Jesus if you won't spend time with him, if you won't hear his voice. And some of you have been doing this as a regular habit in your life, and I don't even need to talk about it with you, but some of you did it for a season, and then you stopped, and then you started, and then you stopped, and you got out of the habit over and over again. Let me give you a simple tip for making this regular in your life. Ready? It's this. Find a place. Find a place. You need to find a place where, uh, where you can do this. A special place. Runners, do you know runners have a route? When a runner comes out of his house, he immediately thinks to himself, am I turning right or am I turning left? Am I going a mile and a half that way and then turning the corner and coming back? We have a route. Like that's, it's, we know. We got to run and we're going to run out there somewhere. We got to find a place to do that. That's where you're going to meet God every day. You find a place. For some of you, it may be uh, your favorite lounge chair in your living room. God bless for some of you, it's uh, you're outdoor people, so it's on the back patio. Maybe you got a picnic table out there, and you sit out there, and you hear nature. Or maybe you go someplace like Lodi Lake or, or someplace where there's nature. For some of you, it's your kitchen table. It can be on a walk or a run. It absolutely can be on a walk or a run where you can meet God. Um, but you have to go someplace where you can be alone and talk to God. And, and it's a place where you feel like God is waiting for you there, like he's waiting to hear from you. Anybody here do your quiet time right before bed? Devotions right before bed? Anybody? Not very, a few. I can't do it before bed. Does anybody else know? I can't do it before bed. Because the moment I start opening something and start reading it, what happens? I'm out. I am out. How many people when you're praying, you're praying silently, and then you close your eyes before bed, what happens? You're out, just out, out cold. And then you wake up the next morning, you got to apologize to God. I'm so sorry about that, God. I don't know what happened. I was sleepy. What can I tell you? Um, I, I don't do that. So for some of you, this could be a game changer, is you need to talk to God and talk to him out loud like you would talk to someone else. 
Talk out loud to God. Now, if you do your quiet time at Starbucks, I don't recommend this, okay? Don't talk out loud to God at Starbucks. That's not a great place to do that. But you may need to talk out loud to make it real for you. Now, many of you know now, you've probably seen me around town. I walk every morning to meet with God. And you may see me out there. I know you see me walking because people honk all the time while I'm walking. And I don't even know who you are, but I'm like, hey, you know, like, hey, I'm out there walking. Before I get up, I don't, I don't look at my phone. Uh, I get up and I start to walk before I do anything else and I start talking with God. And sometimes I talk with him out loud. Some, some people, I'm sure, driving by me are like, what's with the homeless guy talking to himself <coughs> on the road? But that's me. I'm just out there talking to God. Here's how I start every day when I'm talking to God. I start with gratitude. I say, God, I, I am so grateful that you chose me and that you love me. I don't know why you love me. I am nothing special. But you love me. You adopted me into your family. You poured out your grace and you saved me. And then I thank God for the gifts that he's given me in my life. Every morning I thank God for the greatest gift he ever gave me on this planet. I thank God for my wife. And I say, God, I don't know why you chose me or gave her to me. But I do not deserve her. You know that. And I'm so thankful that she walks alongside me. I thank God for my three daughters who have brought immeasurable joy to my life. Uh, I, I thank God for regular stuff. Thank, thank you, God, I have a job and that my home was warm or cool last night based on the air conditioning or the heat. And thank you, God, that there's food in my refrigerator. Thank you, God, that you, you gave me, my parents poured into my life. I, I just start with gratitude. Start with gratitude just to get your heart right before God. Then I bring requests. Whatever's on my heart, whatever's weighing on me right now, the, the, the people I pray for the most are still my own family. So I pray for my three daughters. I pray real regularly for them. I pray what I call the three Ps over their life. They don't know that I do this, but I do it every single day. I pray, pray for the three Ps over their life. I ask God to protect them from the evil one. God, would you protect them from the evil one who wants to steal their joy and, and take their livelihood? And Would you protect them? God, would you provide for them God, provide for their life, provide for their, and even their, their spiritual life. Would you make them more and more like your son? Would you provide for them ways that they could do that? And then I pray, the last three, is that they would have purpose. That God would give them a purpose that they would live into. Not the race that I've set out for them to run, because my race is imperfect. But the race that you have for them, God, would you, would you let them live out that purpose in their life? And then we just talk, God and I, just about whatever, whatever's happening that day on my schedule, whatever I need to get done or, or whatever I'm wrestling with. And you, here's the thing. Jesus did this. Jesus did this too. He did this in Luke chapter 22. We see this. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went how? As usual to the Mount of Olives. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Jesus did this as a habit right? If the disciples were looking for Jesus, they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Well, where do you think he is? He's probably out at the Mount of Olives. Like, go look for him there. That's probably where they found Jesus because it was his habit. He did it in this routine over and over again. And we need a special place where you meet with God and make it a habit. You need that. Here's the next thing. Ready? The more you run, the more you become a runner. Again, this should be obvious. But the more you run, the better a runner you become. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you'll become like him. 
In the Old Testament, Moses spent a lot of time with God. He went up on a mountain. He would spend days, weeks, actually months even, with God at certain times, right? And he's up on the mountain, and he spends so much time with God, he glowed. How many people know what I'm talking about? His, he literally glowed. He had seen God and been in God's presence. Wow, wow, wow. He's glowing. And so he put a veil over his face, because people were like, what's up with that, Moses? And he was glowing. Well, we don't need a veil anymore, but I want you to see this um, in, in, uh, in the scriptures here in 2 Corinthians It says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and what? Reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us what? More and more like Him as we are changed into His what? Glorious image. You see the discipleship? More and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Circle more and more. Circle more and more. I want you to get this. This is a daily, systematic process. The more you run, the more you become a runner. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you become a disciple. And one day, if you're a runner, you wake up and you think, I've been running every day, and you suddenly think, I could run a half marathon today. I'm I'm there. You've been running long enough and training the right way. You get to the point where you're like, I could run a marathon today. I'm I'm trained for it. I'm I'm a runner at this point. I could do it. Um, and, And here's the thing. It takes time and intentionality to get there. And when you start spending time with God daily, intentionally, you begin to reflect his glory. You begin to reflect his glory. Circle that in your notes. You will start reflecting God's glory. Get this. This has a basis in biology. Um, Inside your brain, you have what are called mirror neurons. There's been some research into this. It's fascinating stuff. You have mirror neurons in your brain. Mirror neurons allow you to feel what other people feel when you just look at them. Like when you look at them, you feel what they feel. This is why you can empathize with someone else. Now, if I were to yawn right now, you would start yawning. In fact, just saying the word yawn right now, many of you are fighting it back. Right? <sighs> You're fighting it right now, aren't you? You're fighting it. I know you are. You're fighting it. And that's your mirror neurons. They're like, they're, they're firing and they're saying, oh man, you weren't tired a second ago, but you just got a yawn right now, right? That's how it works. It, this is true in so many places. When you go to a scary movie and something happens up on the screen, what does everybody do? Ah, they freak out, right? They get, ah, ah. Are you in any danger at the movie theater? No, you're in a power recliner that has your feet all the way out and you have a five-gallon bucket of popcorn on your lap. You're not in any danger, but you're like, ah, right? This is true if you, uh, if you have a, a, a sports team. If, if your sports team win, suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, you feel great because your team won. Did you win? No, did you have anything to do with them winning? No. Giants fans, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Makes you sad a little bit. Is it too soon? Okay, sorry, Giants fans. Um, if you are watching a romantic movie, and you're watching a romantic movie, and someone on screen gets kissed, immediately that feeling wells up inside of you, and you look over to your husband and you say, why can't you be more like that? Right? That's mirror neurons. You begin to reflect back, right? And when you spend time with God, these mirror neurons begin to reflect back to God in your life. And you, you, these other people will see that in you. They'll see it in you. 
Okay, what's next? When you're running is hard, remember the finish line. When the running is hard, remember the finish line. If you are going to be more and more like Jesus, this is the hard truth, you're going to have to go through what Jesus went through. This is not a light jog in the park. This is a marathon, and at times the race is going to be hard. Was Jesus lonely? Yeah. Was Jesus betrayed? Yes. Was Jesus misunderstood? Yeah. Was Jesus crucified? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So here's the question. If God didn't spare his own son that, why do you think he's going to spare you that? Why would he spare you? The next time you think to yourself, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. See, God uses those moments to build your character. To make you more like Christ. Instead of asking why, why is this happening to me? You have to say, what, God? What, am I, what do I need to learn? What am I need to grow in right now? How do I grow from this or learn from this? On day 22 in your books that we've been reading through, day 22 uh, is, is coming, I think, for you. But it says this in the book. It says, God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. God's ultimate goal for you on this earth, in this life, is not your comfort, it's your character development. Your character matters more than your comfort. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12 as it continues. Because of the joy awaiting him, he what? (laughs) Endured the cross. Disregarding its what? Shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the what? Hostility he what? Endured from sinful people. And then you won't become what? And what else? You won't give up. Think of what Jesus went through. Think of what Jesus put up with. When I uh, first started out in ministry, my boss at Youth for Christ, whenever we complained about anything in the ministry, used to say this back to us. He used to say, huh, yeah, I'll bet the cross was no picnic either. You want to shut up ministry folks? Tell that to them. You're like, okay, I'll get back to work. Whatever you want me to do. When you are running this race of discipleship, I guarantee you it will get hard. I guarantee you it will get hard. Anybody ever heard of the wall in a marathon? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The wall in a marathon? If you haven't heard of this, the wall is a phenomenon in a marathon. It usually happens about the 20 mile mark. And about the 20 mile mark, your body starts to shut down because your muscles have run out of glycogen. They are just out and you get this overwhelming fatigue and then depression and negative thoughts overwhelm you. Let me show you a quick video clip from a marathon in Austin, Texas a few years ago. Von Negetich had been in the lead for nearly 26 miles. The finish line was within sight when this happened. Overcome by exhaustion, Negetich fell onto her hands and knees, but kept going. Oh my goodness, look at what's going on here in the women's race. She led for the entire day. Only in the closing miles, her body let her down. Race director John Conley was watching. I've seen athletes wobble and fall. I've seen athletes crawl across the finish line. But that story of her going 26 miles and then crawling the last 450 feet or so, uh, never seen anything like it. 
When the medical team rushed to help and offered a wheelchair, she refused. She's taking no for an answer. Keep on going, young lady. Negetich had still managed to come in third. Conley greeted her after the race. You ran the bravest race and crawled the bravest crawl I have ever seen in my life. Crawling the last 50 meters to the finish line. Negetich couldn't recall those final moments. For the last two kilometers, I don't remember. She did it! She made it! Running always, you have to keep going, going. Almost done. If that you still want to be a runner, um, after the service, the prayer ministry team over here will come and pray over you because there's something wrong with you. We just need to work on that. Um, but that's sort of the truth of a, of a marathon is that you, you have to run. And that's what discipleship is like. There are times when you are beat and worn out and broken down and you keep running for just one thing. Do you know what it is? It's the finish line. You run for the finish line. At the finish line, I can finally stop running. At the finish line, I can... Here's the thing. At the finish line to this life, Jesus is going to be waiting for you there. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you may come across the line like you've been paced and ready to go, and you may be crawling across that line. But in that, in that moment, you will see everything you need. You will share in God's glory. We are heirs with God. And that finish line, you will heal well done and good and faithful servant. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. And since we are his children, we are his what? Heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are what? Heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also what? Share in his suffering. Share in his suffering. When the going gets hard, we run for the finish line. Here's the last thing, and I want to get this in. Don't run alone. Don't run alone. Do not run alone. Listen, it's your race, and nobody else can run it. Nobody can run it but you. But you need a support team to run your race. You know what I'm talking about? The people who are out on the course, and they've got two cups. I don't know why it's always two cups. And they hand two cups, and the guy takes two cups, and they drink one, and, what, and they pour the other one over their head. I don't know why, and then they keep running. You've got to have somebody there who, who is waiting for you, who will encourage you. And, and so many of you are at different stages in this race of discipleship. Different stages of this race, God will bring different people into your life. God will bring different people into your life to run alongside you. Get this. Nobody will run alongside you your whole life. Do you know that? No one will run alongside you your whole life. You say, well, what about my spouse? Yeah, there was a season of your life without your spouse. What about my parents? There will be a season of your life probably without your parents. And, and if, God forbid, you have gone through the tragic loss of a spouse and the grieving that goes along with that, guess what? There's still a part of your race you're still supposed to run. That God is calling you to run alongside and, and he wants to develop in you and, and create in you something more than you are today. Um, at different stages of your life, different people will run alongside you. Um, there's this old African proverb that I heard that I just love. It says, to run fast, run by yourself. But to run far, you have to run with other people. If you're going to run far, you've got to run with other people. I do not want to start off fast and burn out. Almost all of us know somebody that in this Christian life, they started off fast and they were on fire and they were, they were going to take the world by storm and, and, they, and they burned out and suddenly you're like, what happened to that guy? What happened to her? Why is she so far? It's, it's usually because they didn't have somebody walking alongside them that would, that would support them and encourage them, right? They needed a team. 
Hebrews chapter 10 says it like this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our what? Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But what are we supposed to do? Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Some people will use this verse and they'll say, see, this is why you got to go to church. This is a church attendance verse. I don't know that this is a church attendance verse. Honestly, more appropriately, this, this probably was written and handed over to small groups of Christians that were meeting in homes. This is really going out to some small groups, probably. And this is why you need a community group. I'm never going to stop apologizing for telling you you need a community group. If you don't have anybody running with you, you are not going to make it to the end of the race. You are going to give up. At some point, you're going to hit the wall, and you are not going to have anybody there to help you up. So here's the, here's the point of this. Ready? you got to gather a team. You have to gather a team. You don't need 50 people. You don't even need 10 people, honestly. But what you really do need is about three or four people running with you at any given time, at any given season of your life. And you're running with them, and they're running with you. And when you feel like giving up, they keep you going. And when they feel like giving up, you keep them going. And community groups is one of the best places to find these people in your life. Listen, you can worship in here with a crowd, but you cannot do discipleship in a crowd. It has to be in a smaller group. has to be. So, some of you just joined a community group. We had a push, and some of you are joining new community groups, and we just, we just started a new community group at our house. It's a brand new community group, and uh, it's always funny to start a new community group because you walk in, and everybody sits down, and we all don't know each other, and you look across the room, and you immediately think to yourself, do I even like these people? Right? I have no idea if I'm even going to like these people. Do they even like me? I don't know if they're going to like me. Right? And at the very beginning, everyone's a little guarded in what they say, and they're not sure how much to say. And if you've ever been in a new community group, you watch the poor introverts in the new community group. Those poor introverts are looking at their watch like, it's got to be. Is it almost 8 o'clock? It's only 6.30? I don't understand. Uh, and they're just, and I am a people pleaser. Any other people pleasers? Everybody has to like me. Right? You all like me, don't you? You don't have to look at me like blankly. You, you like me, right? That's what you're doing in a community group. Here's the thing. It's super awkward at the beginning. But you've got to push through that. You've got to push through that to find the people that will run alongside you because you weren't meant to run alone. You were not meant to run alone. That leads me to... So what, Steve? In the history of so what's, this is the simplest so what in the history of so what's. It's this. The only way you can run a marathon is one step at a time, so you got to take the next step. It's the only way you can run. Take the next step. Take the step after that. I find how much I am using this in my life these days. The only step you can take is the next one. Get this. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says it this way. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to what? Win a prize. It will not fade away. But we do it for an what? An eternal prize. So I what? How? I run with purpose in every step. So what is your next step of discipleship? What does it look like for you? Some of you, you haven't decided to follow Christ yet. You're not even sure you're getting off the couch. I get it. You're here. You're checking it out. I understand that. But at some point, you're going to have to realize that the God of all creation loved you, created you, designed the universe so that he could love you, and you're going to have to allow him to love you. And let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth of this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And it's this discipleship process for the rest of your life. But he wants to have a relationship with you. And for you, the first step is, is your next step. You just got to get up off the couch and say, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. And I'm going to invite him into my heart. For others of you, you, uh, you can't remember the last time you cracked open God's word outside of a Sunday morning worship service. You're here and I listen to God's word, but I just don't open it any other time. One of the great things about this this purpose book that we're reading is that everybody's reading one day at a time and you're getting in the habit of daily reading something. When this is over, you keep reading. 15 minutes, 10 minutes of God's word and then pray, talk to God, get quiet, listen for him to talk back to you. Some of you, you need, to, you need to make this a habit in your life. You remember when it was a habit, but it's not a habit anymore. And you need to pick a place, and you need to go there tomorrow. You need to say right now in your heart, I am going to show up tomorrow in my place with God, and I'm going to meet with him. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Some of you just need consistency. You're like, I do it maybe three times a week. you got to make an effort to do it every day. And for some of you, some of you, you know you've been avoiding finding those people to run alongside you. You've been isolating yourself and you haven't been letting anybody wrong alongside you and encourage you in your Christian walk. And for some of you, you know somebody right now that is struggling tremendously spiritually and you need to commit to be the person to walk alongside them. All of this is discipleship. It's running this race to go become more and more like Christ. Listen, tonight... This dovetails into it, but for some of you, your next step actually is a next step class. We, we, tonight, we are offering all four of our next step classes. Uh, Glenn talked about it at the beginning, but I would invite you to come back. For some of you, your next step is to come back tonight and find out about this. Step one is about membership. It's about becoming a part of God's family. It's saying, I want to be a part of this church. I don't want to be an orphan. I know these people look something nice to me. We're not perfect. We are not perfect people, but at the end of the day, we love Jesus, and we're trying to live this out. And you need to say, I'm going to commit and be a part of God's family here. Some of you, it's about, step two is about discipleship. It's about growing in your faith. It's a lot of things that I've been sharing this morning. What does it look like to do a quiet time or to be involved in some of those things? Step three is about serving. God made you to have a job in this family and in this world that you would serve in some place that God has called you to serve. And then lastly, it's, it's God's given you a mission. Somebody sends to India. Somebody sends to, I'm, I'm taking a team to Mexico in a few weeks. And God has a mission for you. Maybe it's in our community. Maybe it's in our church. Maybe it's in the world. But God has something that he wants to do for you. Every part of that is discipleship. And I want it for you. I want you to run this race and run it alongside me. I want you to hear this last verse because I love the way the message paraphrase puts this. So don't what? Get off the couch is what that says. So don't sit around on your... No more dragging your what? Clear the path for what? Long distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and what? Sprain an ankle. We're supposed to? And what else? And run for it. Father God, as we ask the question, what is our next step? What is it that you've called us to do in this marathon of a race called discipleship? of becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would just convict our hearts. For some of us, we just need to step into it and embrace it consistently. For others, God, there are those who need to get off the 
get off the couch and, and move towards you, Father. But I pray that we would begin to step into this every day for this very long journey of becoming more and more like your son, that we might reflect your glory, that we might become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, and reflect your glory back at a world that is lost and hurting and has no hope. God, help us to live out this discipleship daily, that it might pour into not only us and the people around us that we're running with, God, but that it might pour into a world that is lost and hurting. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.